guys are great. And uh, this is a blessing having the Galvin family with us this week. We're looking forward to your preaching tonight. Looking forward to our time together in the Word. And so let's uh, welcome each of you. So great seeing children in here tonight. Welcome. Thank you for making the effort to be out here tonight. God bless you. And uh, I know what an effort that is. And so uh, thank you for being in the house of God. What an encouragement to have you here. Let's uh, join together. We're going to prepare for the preaching. Brother Gavin, come and share what the Lord's put on your heart. And uh, may God bless you and use you in a great way tonight. Okay. All right. Well, you can turn in your Bibles uh, to the book of Luke. It's where we'll go. The book of Luke in your New Testament. Luke chapter 18. Okay. Luke chapter 18 is where we will be. And uh, wonderful to see everybody come uh, coming out tonight. Glad that you're here. It is a lovely night and uh, evening, and um, it's nice to have uh, uh, the luscious weather before um, snow comes and stays for a while. You know, um, you know. I I now um, our home is in Alabama, but uh, I spent most of my growing up times obviously born here and then uh, growing up in Pennsylvania and Wisconsin, where snow is normal. And uh, if you don't have snow, something is very unusual. And this, uh, yeah, this last Christmas, uh, it was so hot. I mean, we turned the air conditioner on in Alabama. It was, uh, it was weird. Um, that's not what I would consider normal. So, uh, but it's okay. Uh, the, it is, um, it is very mild during the winter months there. But uh, uh, glad to see you. And I hope again that you'll do everything you can to be out as many nights as you can. I just want you to kind of, uh, kind of know this to help you out because um, the rest of this week. Um, you know, you've got uh, you, some of you've got you've got jobs, you've got to work, uh, you've got stuff to do around the house, you've got responsibilities. Uh, some of you have children, and so one of the things that will always be my goal is that uh, we start at seven o'clock, and it is my goal to have Pastor up here uh, closing in prayer by about eight fifteen, right around in there. At least we say no later than that. So we start at seven. That means we're not really going much more than an hour. Um, so that way, uh, you can always know, okay, we're going to be done right around there so that there's going to be nights you'll need to just kind of get out right away. And it's been a long day. You need to get home. you got to work tomorrow. And uh, that way, uh, you can know, you know, if you end up staying here till 9, it's not because the preacher went too long, you know. Uh, it's, uh, so just, just let you know, that'll be kind of my goal. Um, so that we are able to, now relax, I'm not gonna, we're not going to get out of here at 8.15 tonight, that would be, I don't know, that would be quite a sermon for me too, I might get a little bored by the time two hours goes by, uh, or a little tired maybe I should say, not bored, but just tired, um, so, uh, but we'll close out here around um, no later than 7.15, I just want you to know that. And uh, come as often as you can, bring, uh, bring your friends, bring family if you can, uh, someone else who can be under the Word of God. And you know what also? Bring you. You bring you and uh, you never know what the Lord, what need the Lord might meet on what night. And so we're just going to have that extra preaching, come with an open heart, and uh, that the Lord will change something and really do something for you, okay? All right, so let's go to Luke chapter 18, and uh, we're going to go down to, let's go to verse number 9. And uh, we'll read the passage, and then we'll get into it, okay? Luke chapter 18, verse number 9, says, And he, Jesus, spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. 
And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. All right, so let's pray and just ask the Lord to open our eyes to this chapter, okay? Lord, thank you for uh, for being good to us. Holy Spirit, uh, we do want your presence here. We greatly want um, we greatly want you to. Uh, to open our eyes and to just help us to see truth out of God's word. And Lord, I pray, um, would you please change, um, change us, help us to be willing to obey everything that you show to us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, there is a, uh, a preacher, a by the name, uh, now he's, uh, he's passed away, I think maybe in the 90s, something like that, an evangelist by the name of Roy Hessian. Roy Hessian uh, was kind of a, a popular speaker in Great Britain right after World War II, was when he did a lot of his preaching in the 40s and in the 50s, and um, uh, did a whole lot of preaching, you know, revival meetings, gospel meetings and such, and saw the Lord do some great works. Um, Roy Hessian said uh, that in the year 1947, he said there came a point in his life, and this is what he said, there came a point in his life where he, quote, lost the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'll tell you this, um, you know, there's lots of things that can, when a guy's up in front of preaching, there's lots of things that could go wrong, okay? And things that could be, uh, make uh, preaching more difficult, maybe a little bit more uh, stressful and such. But I'll tell you what, the one thing I hope will never be true is that I would preach and know I don't have the power of God behind me. And that is about the most dangerous thing a guy could do. And um, But oftentimes what happens, as Roy Hitchens says happened to him, he said even though he knew that he had lost the power of God, he said, I continued my evangelistic meetings uh, with, uh, I continued my evangelistic meetings uh, without the power of God. And he said, I redoubled my efforts and became increasingly tense and forceful as I preached. And he said, and I still didn't have the power of God. And um, in 1947, he had an Easter conference that he was kind of in charge of, and that he was kind of heading up, and he brought in some preachers from Africa. There have been some men who had seen some revival in Africa and just had seen God work, people had gotten saved, God did some great things. So he brings in these preachers, you know, who had just seen God work, and he's having them be the lead preachers in his Easter conference. And as the preaching's going on, this is what he said. He said, you know, great things were happening. He said, uh, as my wife and others humbled themselves before God and experienced the cleansing of the blood of Jesus, he said, I found myself left somewhat high and dry. When at the end of the conference, others testified as to how Jesus had broken them at his cross and filled their hearts to overflowing with the spirit, he said, I had no such testimony. And he was the lead preacher. And you know what he said, though? He said... It was not that he did not experience the return of the power of God to his life, to his preaching, until he, quote, got a cleansing from personal sin. Okay, now we hear that and we think, uh-oh, uh-huh, brother, brother Matt. What was the personal sin that the preacher was involved in, you know? And the first thing we ask is, was he cheating on his wife? No, he wasn't. All right, then, oh, well, then it must have been, you know, an evangelist. Money. Was he embezzling money? You know what? He wasn't. 
He wasn't stealing. He wasn't embezzling. He wasn't cheating on his wife. But she, so he'd say, well, what could a preacher do that would, that would block the power of God on his preaching? You know what he said it was? You know what stopped the power of God in his ministry? He said his personal sin that he had to come clean with God and get right about was the way he treated his wife. And, and some of you say, that's it? Guys, be careful. Don't say that, okay? You're going to get an elbow tonight. Um, you, you know, but do we not think that? We think, oh, that was it? Okay. Because we oftentimes don't we think, well, none of us has, we don't, we don't have a perfect, none of us has a perfect marriage. Uh, so, you know, so, you know, okay, so we all want to work on our marriages, but that's not, is that that big of a deal? You know, it was big enough. That it was the fact was is that the way he treated his wife was wrong, therefore it made it sinful, therefore it blocked the power of God on his ministry. And you know what we're gonna look at tonight? And and actually he wrote about this, then wrote a little bit more about it, how that he had to uh he had to be willing to, and the word is be broken before the Lord. We're gonna look at what brokenness is here in just a second. Um, but really for this message to succeed, um, friend, would you please Please be dissatisfied with yourself. And, uh, and not, don't worry, because you know what's going to happen with this message, I think, in particular. Some are, the, some are this way. This one definitely is that oftentimes we listen to it and we think, oh, goodness gracious, so-and-so should have been here to hear that. Or we think, oh, my goodness gracious, this is just what they need. I hope they're listening. Can we do this? Let's just... Put away our thoughts of others, and please, if you want this message to succeed, don't worry about the other person that you know needs to be convicted. Don't worry about them. Not tonight. Don't worry about them tonight. Let God speak to you. Here in the, let God speak to you, okay? So, so Luke chapter 18, look at food. Um, now, what we're going to look at tonight is a parable. A parable is simply a story that Jesus taught in order, uh, that Jesus gave in order to illustrate and teach a truth uh, to the people. Now, one of the ways that you can uh, understand parables is to look and see what was going on, what was the situation that triggered Jesus giving this parable. And uh, Luke chapter 18, verse 9 says that he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves. In other words, the idea was that the, there was a group of people that were putting confidence in themselves. Notice it says in verse 9 that they were righteous. In other words, they believed that they had a right standing before God. They had complete confidence that they had a good right standing before God. It says, and they despised others. Now, the word others is a Greek word translated into our Bible, a Greek word that means, we, we would use the phrase the rest or the remaining, or you could say everybody else. In other words, they believed, this group of people believed that they were right with God and they despised everybody else. They took everybody else and lumped everybody into this category, and basically the category was not as spiritual as me. That's really what the category was. Everybody else got put in this big pot, and they believed that they were people who were right with God and were spiritual, and that everybody else was not. And you know what Jesus wanted to communicate with them there in this place, and he gives this parable, is that they needed something called brokenness. Now, what is brokenness? Let me, um, 
Now, uh, let me give you a definition. This is the definition that works for me. I usually don't do long definitions because, you know, by the time you get to the end of a long definition, you forgot where you were at the beginning. And so I like something short and simple. And so here's the concept of what brokenness is. Brokenness is simply calling sin whatever God calls sin. No matter how small. Brokenness is just you calling sin whatever God calls sin. No matter how small. Because you know what happened with Roy Hessian was that, sure, the way he treated his wife was not right. But to him, he said, it's not that big of a deal. If God calls it sin, it's a big deal. It is a big, big deal. And Roy Hessian had to be broken before the Lord and accept that before God could use him, he had to call sin, whatever God calls sin, no matter how small it may be. All right, so what we're going to do tonight, we're going to look at two men. Okay? One of them is going to be a man who is broken before the Lord that called sin whatever God calls sin. But the other one is going to be an unbroken man. We're going to linger on the unbroken guy for quite a while. And so that you know, when we come to the end, you think, goodness gracious, if we spent that long on the first one. What's going to happen with the second one? Don't worry. We're going to spend more time on the first man, on the unbroken man, because oftentimes it takes a little bit longer for us to recognize that we actually look more like the unbroken man than we want to admit. So look if you would, verse 10 says, Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. So what Jesus is going to do is he is going to use a parable and describe two different men and their prayer lives to help us see uh, two different men, and one was broken and one was unbroken. And the one who was unbroken was the Pharisee. And verse 11 starts us off with the Pharisee. Now, um, I don't know, maybe you've uh, maybe you've read a little, you know, especially in your Bible, maybe you've done outside reading on exactly, you know, what did the Pharisees do? What, what was the whole point? Because they're all throughout the Gospels, and they really, they're really an annoyance to Jesus and to, and really to the work of God. Now, uh, the Pharisees, the word Pharisee actually means just simply a separatist which is actually not necessarily a bad thing in and of themselves, in of itself, but you might say, where did the Pharisees even come from? What had happened was, um, Israel, of course, Israel went through a civil war, and it was between the north and the south, and uh, unlike our nation, they split into two, and then um, there were empires that began to grow, and as the as these empires grew, they would, go, they would of course, you know, they're moving out, they're conquering extra, extra lands and such, and so the Assyrian Empire conquers the, the north, northern section of Israel, and the Babylonian Empire conquers the southern section and eventually the northern section. Now, fast forward through some history. So the Babylonian Empire gets conquered by the Persian Empire. Okay? Now, the Persian Empire had a um, had kind of a policy. They were much more lenient in their governing. So, you know, the nation of Israel, they're all, you know, they're having to serve the Persians, but the Persians were lenient. You know, they let you keep a lot of your culture. They let you keep uh, a lot of your religion as well. Basically, so long as you didn't rebel, as long as you paid your taxes, the Persians generally would let you alone. Um, but, you know, of course, if you, uh, if you did an uprising, then you were in big trouble. However, the Persians were eventually conquered by the Greek Empire. And the Greeks, let me tell you something, the Greeks, they believed that they had the best culture on earth. They believed it, and therefore, if you were a conquered uh, colony, a conquered country, they wanted you to accept, uh, they wanted you to take on the same culture and the same religion. Well, um, for Israel, that's bad. 
Because for one thing, uh, their culture was very tied to their worship of the one true God. And Israel also, the reason why they had been conquered, God had said because there was so much immorality and there was so much idolatry. And they knew this. Israel knew we got sent into captivity because we had because we didn't worship the one true God. And now all of a sudden the Greeks are saying that we're gonna have to uh, that we're gonna have to uh, you know take on the new culture and then we're gonna have to take on the new gods and we're gonna have to go back to idolatry. And they knew we can't go there. This is bad. And you know the group that was saying that that rose up that was the Pharisees. The Pharisees rose up and said. We have got to keep this Greek culture at bay. We've got to keep this Greek uh, idolatry at bay. And we cannot allow even the culture into our culture. We've got to make sure we stay Jewish and that we stay worshiping the one true God. That's a great motive. Only problem was this. Okay, so the, so the Pharisees say, okay, we've got to keep the Greek culture out. We've got to keep uh, false religion out. And so what they began to do was they began to say, okay, well, if the Bible says this, then you know what we ought to do just to make sure that we don't even break God's law even here? We're going to raise the bar. And if God's word says, uh, make sure you do this, we're going to do this. We're going to set an even higher standard so that we don't even get close to the line because we do not want God, uh, we do not want God judging us again. Which again, okay, if you want to, you know, Raise the bar higher? I guess that's not necessarily a bad thing, but the problem was they started saying, okay, God's word says this, but we say you ought to do this, and if you really love God, you do what we said. That's where the problem started coming in, because then the Pharisees started saying, well, yeah, sure, the Bible says you need to do this, but if you really love God, like us, you do this too. And since you don't do this, oh my goodness, you are not right with God. And the Pharisees got stuck on that. And especially when Jesus was finally around, they were still stuck on it. And if you did not do all the extra things that they had added done, added on even to the Bible, they considered you to be a sinner. That was the Pharisees. And so what, what happened with the Pharisees? The Pharisees were so focused on on themselves and on, uh, you know, oh, and, and really they started looking down on people that if you didn't do all these things too, you're not as spiritual as me. You're not as right with God as I am. And so what does it say in verse number, uh, verse number 11? It tells us about the Pharisee and we're going to look at his prayer to help us understand that he was not a, he was an unbroken man. Verse 11 says, look at his posture. It says he stood. For his prayer. Now, um, standing for prayer was not a weird thing. You know, if you go over to Israel now, the Wailing Wall, people stand all the time for prayer. But the word stood here is a word that means to take a stand. Like, almost in a showy way. It would be like this. Just imagine, let's imagine that we finish our service up here. Pastor says, all right, that was a good service. Come on back tomorrow night. And he says, uh, you know, Brother Al, we're going to pick on you. Brother Al, I want you to close in prayer. Now, would you all get nervous? If uh, pastor says, close in prayer, and then Brother Al just kind of walks out, comes up here, and he steps up the stairs, comes right over here, he picks up the plant, sets it back here, and then takes a big step, stands on top of the communion table, spreads his arms out, puts his head back, and says, let's pray. Would you get nervous? <laughs> you know, that, that would be a service to remember, wouldn't it, if uh, Brother Al was up here doing that? And um, uh, you would say, well, what's, so what's wrong with that? Well, what's wrong with it is, what does he want you to look at? 
him. He's doing it all, really, could we say, for show. And the point is, is that, and so that's the idea of the word stood. It means to take a stand. And what the Pharisees would do is they would go where other people could see them. So, and that's where they would pray. And so it says he stood. And notice, notice his audience when he prays. It says he prayed thus with himself. Now, in the next word, he's going to address God. But the Bible lets us know that this Pharisee was not praying to God. He was praying to himself. Now, um, uh, how many of you have ever, now this might have been not fun for you, others of you, you may have enjoyed it. How many of you, has anyone ever been to a Shakespeare play? Has anyone made it to someone that you have? You have. You have. All right. You have. Okay. Um, you know, uh, I had the, I don't know if it was the privilege or not, but I got to attend quite a few Shakespeare plays in my time. And um, let the, don't let it throw you off. I'm not more intelligent for having been to them. Okay. They had some English there that I was just like, what is going on? I mean, you know, uh, Shakespeare can be kind of confusing for, uh, you know, for normal folks like us. And we're just, uh, we hear them saying stuff and all of a sudden they're starting a sword fight. And you're thinking, wait a minute, did I miss something? I, I think it was English, but what's going on? And so, uh, and so um, one of the things I had to learn about that happens in Shakespeare is that they have something in Shakespeare called a soliloquy. You know what a soliloquy is? Big fancy English word for he's talking with himself again. That's literally all it means. It's just he's talking with himself again. What they would do in Shakespeare is they'd have, you know, all the people, they'd be doing their stuff, and they're talking to each other, and the plays moving along. Then all of a sudden, the main character, he'll all of a sudden come way over here, off to the side of the stage, and he'll start looking up into the sky, and he'll start saying all these things up into the sky. And I'm up there in the audience, and I'm thinking, hey, man, we can hear you up here. You know, he's, he's off in this corner. You know, he's, you know, the king's over there with all his people. And he's off in this corner talking about, should I murder the king, or should I not murder the king? And you're thinking, hey, I can hear you. You know, he could probably hear you too. You know, you're thinking that, you know. Um, but then you have to realize, oh, I get it. They're just trying to tell us this is what he's talking to himself. He's debating with himself. You know, should he kill the king? Should he not? You know, some of you, you do that. You talk with, not talk about killing the king, but uh, you debate back and forth with yourself. You know, should I do this? Should I not? And you talk with yourself. And uh, you have a soliloquy. You know, talk with yourself. You know what this word, when he says, he when he prayed, he prayed with himself. You know who his audience was when he talked in his prayer? He wasn't talking to God. He was just talking to himself. And the words coming out of his mouth were just meant to impress himself. Matthew um, Matthew chapter 6 lets us know, Jesus lets us know that sometimes they just did the praying to, uh, to impress other people. And so his audience was himself. But then, and he, and so then look at his prayer. Look at this, uh, this prayer that he has, this unbroken Pharisee. He starts off and says, God, I thank thee. Problem right there is that I noticed, you know, here's this Pharisee coming to prayer, and you know what's not in his prayer at all? Confession of sin. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I find it very valuable, and really, I think it's downright necessary for a Christian to have his own, have her own private prayer time with God every day. Listen, uh, you want, listen, make that a goal. 
that you can have private prayer time. I don't know about you, but I've got burdens, and I've got people that I ache for, and I have my own personal needs, and if I don't get prayer time with God, oh my goodness, where am I going to go with all my issues and thoughts and burdens and prayers? And so and so, uh, it's a great idea to have, you know, have prayer time. Uh, and, you know, I don't know how you can go to prayer time without first saying, oh my goodness, God, I'm a bit kind of embarrassed to come before you again. I need to get some things right with you. You know, and it really, if you're going to have a good prayer time, it ought to start off with some confession of sin. But he has absolutely no confession of sin because an unbroken person really doesn't see that they have much of a problem. They just don't see that they really have spiritual needs. All that and all the Pharisees saw was just, Lord, you ought to be impressed with me. And he doesn't confess his uh, any sin. You say, well, maybe he didn't have anything to confess that time. Oh, yes, he did. In fact, we're going to look at that here in a second. Matthew chapter 23, Jesus exposed these Pharisees and said, they may look like they don't have sin problems. Oh, but you do. And so he says, so this Pharisee, uh, he flaunt, uh, so he has no confession of his sin to start off. But then he immediately goes in, instead of thanking God for, Lord, thank you for being good to me. Lord, thank you for being in control. He starts off by thanking God, uh, by basically flaunting off what he had not done. Verse number 11, he says, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are. And that other men, that's that same word for everybody else. All the rest, the remaining people, he said. So he starts his prayer saying, Lord, thank you that I'm not like all the people out there. Really? You know, is that what you do? Yeah, the Pharisees, actually, uh, there was one uh, one prayer. This is uh, something in a uh, uh, Hebrew document called the Talmud. There was a prayer of a rabbi contained in this document. And this rabbi, this Jewish rabbi, is basically like a Pharisee. His prayer was this. I thank thee, O eternal, my God, for having given me part with those who attend this school instead of running through the shops. I rise early like them, but it is to study the law, not for futile ends. I take trouble as they do, but I shall be rewarded. It, they will not. Uh, we run alike, but I, for the future life, well, they will only arrive at the pit of destruction. So basically he says, if you're a normal person, Lord, thank you that I'm not like you. In fact, there was one spot I read where a, a Pharisee was, uh, was expected every day to thank God that he was not certain people. Number one, he was supposed to thank God every day that he was not a Gentile. Has anyone here actually got some Jewish blood in them? I have like an eighth or something like that. Okay, so so basically, we're all Gentiles here. So the Pharisees would start off saying, thank the Lord, I am not like you people. What's wrong with us, you know? And uh, we're made in the image of God too, but they'd start off thanking God. Thank goodness I'm not a Gentile. Then they'd thank God that they were not a plebeian. You know what a plebeian is? Fancy Roman word for common, normal, everyday folk. Anybody famous here? Anybody, fam you know, anybody famous? Okay, so we're all pretty common, normal. Okay, so they thank the Lord the second time that they were not you. And then a good Pharisee would thank the Lord that they were not born a woman. Oh, dear. Yeah, they would do that, too. And uh, the Pharisees were so caught up in, Lord, aren't you so impressed that I'm not like these people. And he lists some of them here in verse 11. Lord, I thank you that I'm not like the extortioners. I'm not like these people that steal from other people. I'm not like the unjust, these people who are unfair. I'm not like the adulterers, these men over here that are cheating on their wives. Lord, thank you that I'm not <coughs> like them. And Lord, thank you that I'm not like ooh, that publican. And you know what he does? He says, basically, he's saying, Lord, are you not impressed that I'm not like 
all these sinners. And you know what was off with this Pharisee is that, you know, when he lined up a certain set of people, you know something? He looked pretty spiritual. He did. But you know what? If he would actually line up his life and compare it to God, he didn't look so spiritual. But he knew that, and so he didn't compare his life to, how does my life compare to God? Compared to God's holiness, how does my life look in comparison to God's holiness? He didn't do that because if you, if, if any of us do that, we'll realize we're not as good as we think we are. But what the Pharisee did was he said, you know what, Lord, if we just compare to the extortioners, the adulterers, the unjust, the plebeians, the Gentiles, and the women... Here's a spiritual person. God, aren't you impressed with me? And you know what? The Lord, I think the Lord was thinking, no, I'm not. Because this man, uh, this man flaunts off what he hadn't done, and then he flaunts off what he had done. Verse number 12, he says, And Lord, I fast twice in the week. Now, fasting, that means to keep yourself back then, to withhold eating so that you had extra time for prayer. He did it twice in the week. Now, you might, twice a week now, you might think, wow, is that like a lot? Was that normal for a Jew? You know, the law required the Jews to fast once a year at the Day of Atonement. The rest of the year, there's no requirement from the Bible to do that. But the Pharisees said, no, the Pharisees uh, said, no, well, we're going to do it twice a week. Now, let me tell you something. If you wanted to fast twice a week, no problem. There's nothing wrong with you fasting twice a week. But the fact was, they thought they were more godly than you because they did it. And that's where the problem was. They thought, Lord, basically, aren't you impressed that I fast twice in the week? And he says, and I give tithes of all that I possess. Um, now, a tithe is a 10% of, uh, of what we have. And it is, uh, it's a good and a right thing and a biblical thing to give your tithe uh, to the church. And a tithe is 10%. And uh, the Pharisee says, I give tithes of all that I possess. Now, if you're like me, one of the things I do is I look at my income every month. I see how much income have I gotten because everything I buy is with my income. You know, that's kind of deep, you know, but, you know, everything I buy is with my income. And so I take my income, add it all up, and I say, okay, here it is. So I take 10% of that, and that's the gift that I send back to my home church in Alabama. That's part of my tithe, or that is my tithe to my church. Now, the thing is here, the, the Pharisee says, I give tithes of all that I possess. The word possess means to acquire, to get something, to gain something. So in other words, if a Pharisee purchased something at Walmart, he tithed off of it. In fact, there's one passage where Jesus says, you all are tithing off of your spices. Literally, they were going and they were buying a spice. They were going, okay, I have this much spice, so I'm going to weigh it here. So it's this much amount of weight. So that divided by 10 would be this amount. So if I dump all this out, dump this much back in, I level it up right there, got the right weight, tie it up, that belongs to God. They would do that with their spices. I mean, if they bought a car, they would figure out some way to dedicate 10% of the miles to the Lord's work. And, and again, that's not necessarily a bad thing if you want to give off of everything that you possess, but they thought that they deserved a better staying with God because they did all this extra stuff and they did all these extra things. But the problem was this. The problem was, it was the problem wasn't that they fasted a few extra times. The problem wasn't that they tithed extra. The problem wasn't that they did those things. The problem was that they did all these extra things and basically expected God to ignore their personal sin, because, oh, at least, Lord, at least, I'm not doing what the adulterers do. I don't do what the extortioners do. I don't do what the 
the Gentiles will be and women do. I'm not like them. And so they expected God to overlook their personal sin. In fact, Jesus called them out, and as I said before, in Matthew chapter 23, he calls them out and he says, you know what you Pharisees are guilty of? I know. You know, we don't see extorting or unjust or adultery or anything like that. But Jesus said in Matthew 23, you are not right with God. He said, he said you're not, you don't keep your own rules. He says, you don't care about helping others. You only keep some of your traditions. And he says, the ones you do keep, you only do it for the praise of men, not for the praise of God. You fight with people to get the best seats at feasts and synagogues. You don't serve other people. You actually keep people out of the kingdom of God. You steal widows' houses. Your prayers are fake. You don't care about your home people. You make ways to get out of your promises and your oaths. And you neglect law, justice, mercy, faith. And they were also lawless. And, ex and excessive, and they ignored and worked against the true prophets. Well, Brother Matt, when you say it that way, they don't sound so spiritual. Yeah. Because you know what they were? They were not broken. They were, they were good at pointing out, here's all the things, Lord, that I haven't done, but they were not willing to call the small things, we call them small, small things, that God still called sin, they were not willing to call it sin. But you know something? We do that all the time today, don't we? What about some of the um, some things that we oftentimes excuse, but God calls sin? How about when we how about when we design our own plan for our lives outside of what God wants? You know, uh, Colossians 1 says, For this cause also, since the day we heard it, we do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. In other words, God has a plan for your life. And when you create a plan that is opposite of God's plan, God says that's sin. You say, well, Brother Matt, goodness gracious, you know, at least I'm not out killing anybody. It's not like I'm killing people. You know, okay, so maybe I'm not really following all of God's plan for my life. But it's not that bad. God calls it sin. So you need to be broken of it. How about the sin of worry? You know what Philippians 4, 6 says? It says, be careful. Literally, be anxious or worry. Be anxious about nothing. He says, don't worry about anything. Because you know what worry says? When we start to worry, you know what that really says? I don't trust God. But we, but we cover it up and we say, we say, oh, well, I just, I just care so much. That's why I worry. You know what God calls worry? Sin. Well, Brother Matt, at least I'm not you know, extorting an unjust and adulterer. God still calls it sin. And we need to be broken over it. What about um, when we get discontent? Philippians 4.11 says, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be Content. In other words, God says, whatever place I have put you in, you need to be satisfied with where I have you. Have we not in this last six months been put into some spots that we really don't like? Yeah, I think probably all of us have. You know what God says? You need to be content. Well, uh, okay, so maybe I should be a little bit more content. You know what God calls discontentment? Sin. Oh, but brother, man, at least I'm not like, you know, at least I'm not like stealing Stuff from other people's houses and businesses. At least I'm not doing that. Yeah, God, I'm glad you're not. God still calls you discontentment sin. And you need to be broken of it. What about, um, uh, what about pride? Are you one of those people that is always right and never wrong? I wonder if that's because of pride. 
He said, oh, come on, Brother Matt, is it, is it really that bad? Well, James 4, 6 says that God resisteth the proud. Well, pride, I understand pride's not good, but it's not as bad as who said it wasn't. In God's eyes, sin is sin, <laughs> and we need to be broken of it. How about the sin of unthankfulness? Ephesians 5.20 says, giving thanks always for all things. You know, when we're not thankful, you know what we're doing? We're breaking God's law. Oh, Brother Matt, come on! That's not that big! God says it's sin. Therefore, we need to be broken of it. How about the sin of selfishness? Philippians 2.4 says, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Does not this time make us go, oh, basically everyone, look out for number one. Look out for yourself, because we don't know what's coming next. Oftentimes we get so selfish, in, just in the home, we expect other people to do everything for us, and we just get so self-centered. You know what God says about selfishness? It's sin. You say, brother that, it's not that bad. God calls it sin. Therefore, we need to be broken of it. How about anger? Frustration, impatience, irritable, irritability. We give all kinds of names to it. But you know what God says is that he that has no rule over his own spirit is like a city that's broken down and without walls. Because back then they had to use walls for defense because they didn't have planes. You could just build walls and protect your city. He said if you have, if you have uncontrolled anger, he says, you're like a city that's broken down and without walls. Brother Matt, at least I'm, I might get angry, I might get upset, I might lose my temper, but at least I'm not killing people. Glad you're not killing people. God still calls your anger sin. If God calls it sin, we need to call it sin too. How about envy? Jealousy. Where we wish we had what other people had, almost to the point sometimes that we wish they didn't have it. God calls envy sin. How about the sin of gossip? You know what Proverbs 18, 8 says? It says, the words of a talebearer are as wounds. You know what a talebearer is? A storyteller. Tale is story. Bearer is someone who tells. A storyteller. Uh, so the words of a talebearer, a storyteller, are as wounds. They go down to the innermost parts of the belly. You say, Brother Matt, the story was true. That's nice. The words of a storyteller are like wounds. You go around and expose other people's mistakes and other people's problems and other people's wrong choices. God calls gossip sin. He said, come on, brother, man, at least I'm not doing what they're doing. God is glad you're not doing what they're doing. God also calls your gossip sin. You need to be broken over it. What about um, uh, this, the, the stuff we watch on our phones? The music we listen to, the movies we watch, the, image we let, the images we let come across, whatever screen you have, TV, your tablet, iPad, the phone, you know, um, oftentimes we'll let some, some stuff that just does not please God fill our minds or fill our eyes. You say, well, Brother Matt, at least I'm not doing what they're doing. Yeah, you're right. I'm glad you're not doing what they're doing. God still calls watching stuff that is evil. He says, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn me aside and shall not cleave unto me. We need to call it sin if God calls it sin. But instead, you know what we do? We give excuses. We say, you know, when we talk about sin, we just say, well, that's just the way I am. Or we say, that's that, th this kind of attitude I have, that's just the way life's always been. Or that's just the way our family is. <clears throat> I had one person, she said to me, uh, she said to me about her family, she said, you know, in our family, there's a whole, uh, she said, there's a whole lot of yelling, but there's a whole lot of loving too. 
You know what she was basically doing? She was saying, you know, um, yelling at each other is okay because we also love each other. You know, God's glad you love each other. God also calls yelling at each other in your home wrong. But she was basically saying, that's just the way our family is. Or we sometimes we say, that's just the way I was raised. Or that's just my personality to be that way. What about, oh, I struggle, or I have flesh like everybody else. Or we say, this is just the way our area of the country is. If you think, uh, let me tell you, I get to do ministry, I've gotten to do a lot of ministry in the South, and, uh, you know, here we're up here in New England, we're you know pretty far away from the South. I'll tell you what, it doesn't matter if you're North or South, same idea, same concept. People say, well, it's just the way our area of the country is. That's why people do that. That's why people say those things. That's why people uh, will have that kind of attitude. That doesn't make it right. That doesn't make it right. Or we say, well, the devil's pressure is too great. Yeah, that excuse didn't work for Eve in the garden. So God won't like to hear from us either. Or people say, oh, well, this person, if this person wasn't in my life, this person made me do it. Well, that was the excuse that Adam tried to use. And God didn't accept that excuse either in the Garden of Eden. People say, that's just the way my culture is. That's just the way our home, our neighborhood, our environment is. And we blame our sin on something else. You know, uh, God is glad that you're not out stealing TVs and killing people and all that. God so calls Pride, selfishness, lust, envy, gossip, whatever it may be, he still calls it all sin. You want to be right with God? Remember, Roy Hessian said, you know what? I'm just not treating my wife right. You know what? Probably, it probably well, think about your own marriage. If, you, if you're married or been married, you know, sometimes you just snap at each other for a little bit, but then you don't make up. Sometimes you just say some things you shouldn't have. Sometimes you're just a little rough, a little harsh. Sometimes you're just a little selfish and you expect someone else to do it. And, you know, we, we look at those things and we think, oh, that's just the way everyone's marriage is. Yeah, that doesn't make it right. God still says that, that selfishness, pride, anger, attitude, he still says that they're all wrong. That the unbroken man was not willing to admit what God calls sin. Like I said... The broken man is going to be very brief. Uh, verse number 13 tells us about the broken man. The broken man was a publican. Verse 13 says, the publican. Now, what was a, what's a publican? Publican, real simple. He's a tax collector. You mean like the IRS? Yeah, but worse? No, yeah, yeah, yeah. It worse because, uh, here's, here's why. Uh, because, um... Uh, you know, because uh, what had happened was, remember, uh, the Greek Empire had taken over, and then the Roman Empire had conquered the Greek Empire. The Romans, by the way, kept a lot of the Greek culture and all that, that kind of mentality. And so what the Romans did was they would hire locals to collect the taxes, because locals know how locals try to slide out of stuff. And so they'd hire locals. It would be almost like, pick your, pick your least favorite country, you know, pick, a, I don't know, Russia, Iran. North Korea, uh, Russia's a big, kind of big right now. Just imagine if the Russians took over the United States. Ew. You just think about that. And think, oh, you would just, you'd hate all things Russian. You would just despise it. And, you know, we're just, you know, even in this little place, what if we saw, you know, tanks rolling down the road? What if we watched a squad of soldiers that are marching because they're headed somewhere else? Or a truck goes by loaded with soldiers and they've got the Russian symbol on you. Just, oh! You know, can't stand them. What if you found out, you know, and then they're starting to put these taxes on us, extra taxes, and, and then all of a sudden, and so you're like, I'm not paying the Russians nothing. I, I, I'll pick
pay the IRS enough. I'm not paying Russians too. And so you, and so then all of a sudden a knock comes at your door and it's a friend of yours from down the street and he's got two Russian soldiers behind him and you say, hey, what's going on? Why are they here? And the guy, and you say, and then you look at his shirt and you say, what? What are you wearing the Russian flag for? What are you, why are you here? This was someone you had been with, a friend of. And he said, well, I'm, um, you're behind in your taxes. What are you telling me? He said, I, I, uh, uh, I need you to pay your taxes. To, to Russia? What? You're not going to make me do it. Wait a minute. Are you working for them? I do work for the Russian government now. You know what you'd say to that friend? Traitor. Traitor. I'll get my money and don't you ever come back if you don't want to die on my property. Wouldn't that be how we think? That's what the publicans were. Traitor. Tax collectors for the takeover government. So, you know, they were considered unclean. People hated the tax collectors, the publicans. Look what it says, though, about the publican. It says in verse number 13 that the publican, notice when he prayed, notice his posture. It says he was standing afar off. In other words, he got where no one else could see him but God, because all because he realized, I am so unworthy to come before God. Verse 13 says he was standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven. He wouldn't even look God in the eye, but smote upon his breast. This kind of action of beating on your chest was a sign of grief and mourning when someone had died. And so he's beating on his chest and he says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You know, he's off in a corner and he's just weeping. He would not even look God in the eye because he said, basically because he was ashamed, frightened, and embarrassed by his sin. When was the last time you were ashamed, frightened, and embarrassed by your selfishness, your gossip, your envy, your lust, your anger, your pride? When was the last time that it concerned you so much that it made you scared to look God in the eye and make you grieve to say, God, and he says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You know who he called this? He called the sinner. He called himself the sinner. He said, you know who the problem is here? It's me. He didn't blame other people for his sin. You know, I remember once uh, uh, my dad telling about, uh, I had given a, uh, I had witnessed to my uh, my grandmother and uh, th just through a thank you note for a birthday and such and witnessed to her. And she had, um, and this was before she got saved and she got, and I, you know, wrote the gospel in this thank you note about how we're sinners and that uh, we need God to save us from our sin. And she called my dad and just lit into my dad saying, you want to talk about a sinner? She said, your dad, that was the sinner. She, you know, because my, um, my dad's dad had left, um, my dad's mom when my dad was a teenager. And, um, and so she said, you want to, my grandma said, you want to talk about a sinner. Your father was the sinner. You know what is so, it's so easy for us to say, you want to know where the problem is? The problem's my spouse. It wasn't for my spouse. I can live for God. It wasn't for my kids. I can live for God. If it wasn't for my whoever, people at work, whatever, I can live for God. This publican says, I'm the sinner. He admitted his sin and was willing to admit what God called sin. And verse 14 says, Jesus says, I tell you, this man, this publican, went down uh, to his house justified rather than the other. And I'm going to tell you something. That would have thrown the Jews off. Because when they heard the publican went down to his house justified, literally right with God, the Pharisee didn't. They would have been really thrown off by that. And Jesus said, yes, 
This man was justified rather than the other. For, Jesus said, everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased. That means brought down low. And he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. You know what Jesus identifies here at the end? He says, you know what? If you want to be right with God, it's going to take some humility. It's going to take some serious humility to be willing to get on your knees here at the front and say, God, forgive me for my wicked, awful sin of envy. God, forgive me for the wicked, awful sin of worry. I act like you're not in control. Forgive me, God. So, being broken is going to take some humility. To let pride go away because, uh, because humility comes to the front and says, Lord God, have mercy on me. I have been so, I've gotten angry so much. I am irritable. I am never patient. God, forgive me for the sin. But you know what some of you may do tonight is you just say, well, um, I guess I should probably work on that. God says, no, I don't want you to work on it. I want you to confess it as sin to God. Listen, before, uh, I've got, uh, there's some exciting things, some passages I've been looking at, and I'm excited about the days the days ahead. But I'll tell you what, if we're not going to be right with God tonight on something that God has shown you tonight, then really the rest of it, you're just going to get backed up, backlogged, and blocked, and there's just, you won't be able to enjoy and appreciate and use the scriptures that are coming in the next few days if we aren't going to be honest with God tonight. Listen, I'm not asking you to stand up here in the front and say, here's my sin problem. I'm asking you to come to the front and, and quietly tell God, here's my sin problem. And be broken before God. And I'll tell you what, God says he'll always honor, he'll exalt those who will humble themselves. But those who will not humble themselves, he says, I know how to abase you. He says, I know how to bring you down. For God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace under the humble. So let's do that here tonight. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Every head down and every eye closed and no one's looking around. And uh, folks, uh, let's not re-preach the message because I think it should be just about as clear as it needs to be. Uh, God may have shown you some things that need to change in your life. Maybe you just, it's as simple as, well, Lord, good night. I didn't even realize that that was a, that that was an issue. That was a problem. Okay. Well, now, you know, God has shown you. Now, you know, so, um, so friend, can I ask you tonight that you would just come clean with God about everything that he has shown you tonight? I'm not asking you to come give me a list of anything. I'm asking you to go before the Lord. So if you don't mind, you just play the song of your choice. And while she plays, I'm going to ask you this. Please, you don't have to impress me. This is not to impress me. I'm not going to be getting into your life at all. But some of you need to get something right with the Lord tonight. You need to be broken over some sin as she plays, would you please obey the Lord and come clean with God with that sin?